Thank you for calling Gay Wire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello, and thank you for choosing option three. Welcome to Gaywire, where everything's at least a little bit queer. I'm your host, Terrence, and my pronouns are he and they. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton, and this week, we're still talking about the blood ban. If you missed our episode last week, The blood ban is the three-month abstinence period necessary for men who have sex with men to abide by if they want to donate blood. Since 2013, the blood donation policy has changed three times, shortening from five years to three months. But where did the policy come from? During the HIV and AIDS crisis, Canada was slow to test donated blood for common indicators of HIV even though tests were available. This mistake led to at least 1,250 Canadians becoming infected with HIV from donated blood, known as the tainted blood scandal. Though now we have treatment for HIV that helps to suppress the virus, at the time of the scandal in 1992, this was ages away, so there was a lot of fear, and that fear turned into a policy of a lifetime ban on men who have sex with men, or MSM, from donating blood. This policy is in fact not good, and for a second there we had some hope that it would be eradicated, and Justin Trudeau said he'd end the ban once and for all, but as of today, there is still a three-month deferral period before 2SGBTQ folk can donate blood. For this special two-part episode of Gatewire, one of our reporters, Shayna Giles, spoke with Christopher Karras and Shakir Rahim. In 2016, Chris submitted two human rights complaints against Canadian Blood Services and its overseeing body, Health Canada, calling for them to address the discriminatory policy. Chris is represented by his lawyers, Shakir Rahim and Gregory Coe of Kastner Lamb LLC out of Toronto. Shana spoke with Chris and Shakir in late June about the ongoing human rights complaints, the ban itself, and the message that policies like the MSM blood ban sends to the queer community. This is part two of that interview. If you missed part one and you want to listen to it, you can find Gaywire's Behind the Blood Ban Part One wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, here's part two. So my name is Christopher Karras, uh, and my pronouns are he, him, and I am the federal litigant um, that is uh, challenging the MSM blood donation policy of uh, Canadian Blood Services and Health Canada. My name is Shakir Rahim. My pronouns are he and him. I'm a lawyer with Kastner Lamb, LLP in Toronto. And I am Christopher's lawyer on the judicial review of the human rights inquiry into the MSM blood bank.
And as we chatted about earlier, Canadian Blood Services sort of puts together the data, um, proposes a, a particular policy, and then Health Canada ultimately approves it and is also involved uh, in some ways um, at the outset of that process as well. So the Canadian Human Rights Commission said, we think that both complaints should have a human rights inquiry. Both com complaints should go to the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, should be examined, and there should be a decision made about what Chris is alleging. And the federal government opposed both of these at that initial stage. They said there should be no human rights inquiry um, into the Canadian Blood Services complaint or into the Health Canada complaint. Uh, they said before the Canadian Human Rights Commission, again, that screening body for the tribunal, that the ban was not discriminatory, uh, it's scientifically valid, and so on. So one question, uh, you know, is why is the federal government in the form of the prime minister saying we need to end this discriminatory ban, while at the same time their lawyers are in human rights bodies saying the ban is discriminatory. But in any event, Chris prevailed and the commission said we should have both um, complaints uh, go to the tribunal. But then the government decided to try and stop that referral. And this is a very exceptional step. It's something called a judicial review. And it's where the government goes to a federal judge and says, look, um, Chris is trying to have a human rights uh, inquiry into Health Canada. We don't think he should be allowed to even have the inquiry at all. Shouldn't even, shouldn't even be heard before the tribunal. And so this is where uh, myself and Gregory Coe, who is co-counsel on this case, came in to represent Chris on this judicial review uh, to ensure that the human rights inquiry into Health Canada uh, could take place. And so there was a hearing on that at the federal court on May 27th of this year. And uh, fortunately, we were successful. And the federal court ruled that um, it was entirely appropriate for there to be this human rights inquiry they rejected all of the government's arguments about how um, it should not occur. And in particular, they found that they agreed with the assessment of the Canadian Human Rights Commission, that screening body, that there is a very open question, a live contest about the relationship of Health Canada to the MSM blood ban policy. Uh, and that's relevant because, you know, uh, as this case was proceeding, um, there were questions asked to the government in the House of Commons about it. So um, Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP, asked, uh, as the other Conservative MPs asked uh, sitting members of Parliament for the current government, why are you defending this case? And the Deputy Prime Minister uh, responded that, look, we respect the independence of institutions, you know, and the general message is we just don't have the power to um, get involved in this. And so the reason that this, this court ruling that Chris won um, and, and we won representing him is important is because it said, no, there, there, there may well be a relationship and the ministry may have more power than it's letting on to actually change this policy. And so where we are now with the complaint is that, you know, fortunately both are continuing before the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. Uh, both the one against uh, Canadian Blood Services and the one against uh, Health Canada. What are some of the major challenges you're going to face going forward with this complaint? Well, Chris, do, do you want to speak about that first? Because uh, I think, you know, Chris is sort of the one uh, handling, uh, taking the lead now as, as it goes before uh, before the tribunal. I, I think uh, one of the major 
hurdles uh, will be discovery. Um, the uh, the government and and um, uh, Canadian Blood Services provided their disclosure uh, very late in the process. Um, I provided my disclosure well in the beginning. Um, and as you know, I, I filed in 2016. Um, so I was forthcoming with all of my my submissions and, and, and disclosure, uh, whereas I only recently received the disclosure from uh, Health Canada and Canadian Blood Services. And in the case of Canadian Blood Services, it's more than 600 documents. And uh, with Health Canada, it's about, uh, I think, 80 documents. And each of them are X number of pages. Uh, some of these documents are over 300 pages. So I'm, I'm still, you know, trying to get through that. It's definitely a hurdle. I have spoken to the tribunal about this. So um, I think we will um, be f still looking at what can be done with that. I, I may also consider um, um, a legal counsel for uh, the tribunal proceedings that are going forward. We're looking at that. And, um, you know, there, there's still the question of uh, legal costs uh, rising. And, and they, they have already risen, I think, artificially um, uh, by the, um, the federal court proceedings, uh, which we, we won. And so I, I feel that the government intended this. They, they didn't have any intention in having an inquiry into this matter and so they attempted to put a stop to this and and it is having the intended effect it is uh, putting a, a further um, stress or, or burden um, on uh, the complainant uh, myself and so I will have to see what um, options are available and uh, I know that this, this is beyond just me, right? Uh, that there are many people who are affected by this policy and other policies. And so I feel it's an important fight that needs to continue. And I am committed to that. And we will um, see what, what more can be done and, and try to garner as much support as we can to, to continue to, to fight this. And Shocker, do you have anything to add? It, at, at the end of the day, when, when Chris um, and other activists want to bring these types of complaints, um, you know, they have to shoulder the cost of that. And, you know, we, we were able to, to help Chris out to, to some degree in, in reducing those costs, but um, it, it, it's really a David Goliath situation, right? Um, and it, it, it speaks to a broader issue, which is that you can have a human rights complaint system, um, but ultimately, if it's going to cost you money to access it, that is inherently uh, something that obviously gives one party uh, the leg up because the party that has money and resources, especially the government, is able to have, you know, they have, you know, many lawyers on this case, that kind of thing. And then you have the person with the complaints. So it speaks to a broader access to justice and equality issue as well uh, in, in Canada. I think also on that point that I would like to add is, um, and, and which I'm, I'm concerned with, is that the uh, the tribunal caps the damage awards, uh, which are uh, provided 
and uh, this is provided in the Act, uh, the, the Canadian Human Rights Act. Uh, there was some reporting about this some time ago of a complainant who uh, had filed uh, for, um, I, I think it was in the military, it was a Me Too case, um, and uh, they they weren't able to recover any of the um, the, the legal costs which they, they had spent on that case, I think it was well above $100,000 that they spent and uh, they weren't able to recover any of that. And of course, this was very traumatic and, and very challenging. And uh, there wasn't any, I think, effort uh, on part of the government to uh, make a change to that legislation. Um, although um, this complainant uh, suffered greatly by that, um, and and of course they they sought um, their legal costs as well, uh, but this is not provided in the act. I, I think it is you know um, a good thing that we don't see that in in human rights uh, legislation because we we want this to be an accessible process for complainants to uh, come forward. But um, I think with the uh, uh, significant costs which uh, that that complainant took on that that there should have been more more done to ensure that they they weren't they weren't um, taking on the the whole burden of that um, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure what happened after that but um, uh, I, I thought that was very concerning when when I read that when you started these complaints in 2016 did you expect that they would still be ongoing now in 2021? I, um, you know, this isn't my my first. Um, I I filed a human rights complaint against um, my uh, my school board and and my school when when I was a student, and so you know I I never really know how long these things will take, but I feel it's important that I say something that I I you know speak out. Um, and that I don't just allow this to continue. I know, you know, just in my my school case, uh, school board case, that there were many students before me who went to school at the at, at the same school that I went to, and and to hear their experiences and what they went through, I'm I'm so glad that I uh, did something about what I experienced, so that you know, at least when you know students are are, are learning that they're not uh, being challenged with those same challenges that I was being challenged with. They might still be challenged with various things, but, but they're, they're not going to likely have the same challenges like implementing a um, gay-straight alliance or having their, their posters put up w- without them being torn down. And so I, I, I think that it's important that, that we speak up, but um, I also think that we can't expect anyone to do that. What are your hopes for the outcome of these complaints? Well, um, you know, I my own hope and uh, is that you know Chris doesn't have to go through this whole process of of having his complaints vindicated. That that CBS makes a timely submission about changing the ban, which they vindicated they have, and that Health Canada approves that in a timely fashion. But Barring that, or if there are delays to that, uh, my hope would be that the tribunal recognizes, as, as I, I, I think Chris has made clear, and this is evident from the nature of the ban, that it is discriminatory, uh, unnecessary, 
uh, and that uh, both Health Canada and CBS uh, bear responsibility for it. The other piece I think that will be important that Chris also has alluded to is the importance of whatever replaces the ban also not containing uh, discriminatory content. So even though CBS has signaled that they are going to move to a behavioral model, uh, we know that there are a lot of stereotypes, um, implicit and explicit, around uh, the sexual uh, behavior in the queer community. And so any behavioral model of questioning, really, we should critically look at for are those questions and assessments properly linked to uh, real risk? Uh, and do they have implicit or explicit uh, stereotypical reasoning? And uh, that I think will be very important to keep a close eye on going forward. I think um, that we, we shouldn't have to go through this process, that when I made my initial complaint, uh, that something should have been done. I, I also think that it would be important for the tribunal to take a broader view of this policy than just the uh, MSM policy itself. Um, and look uh, perhaps at the donor health assessment questionnaire and what uh, further can be done to ensure that uh, donors are not being barred on unjustified grounds that, that are um, discriminatory. Um, and so I, I hope that should the tribunal complete its inquiry, that that uh, decision by uh, the tribunal will be respected and that it will set an important precedent because we're still seeing, and um, I, I think we're, we're seeing um, increasingly a federal government that is intervening in uh, human rights complaints. And, and we're seeing this with um, the First Nations Caring Society case uh, in which there are more than, I think, 19 non-compliance orders of which uh, the government is still fighting in federal court and isn't uh, wishing to to respect and, and implement. Um, and so I, I'm hoping that we we don't have to go through this, but of course, should we should we have to and should we um, uh, see the the completion of that process? That it, it is a meaningful and important uh, precedent that is set to ensure that. Uh, there isn't any further uh, discrimination. And, you know, we, we didn't speak much about this, but these policies go beyond blood. Uh, they also uh, bar donors from donating organs, tissue, and, and other donations. And uh, they all have uh, their own various policies. Uh, I think in regards to um, some uh, donations, it, it's a lifetime um, uh, deferral where, or I should say ban, and, and then in other cases, um, it, it's a time-based deferral. And we're seeing also the, the health outcomes of this as well. There are uh, various recipients who are not able to receive the uh, stem cells or um, other donations that they need because they're just not 
they're just not in the supply that that we currently have and and that's in part due to these policies and so i don't think we're looking at this critically enough um and i think there's a lot more work that needs to be done i know that um you know there's going to be a lot more research and work done uh by folks like uh dr dryden you know, there, there's a lot more that needs to be done, and, and I hope that we'll, we'll see that uh, within uh, the coming months and the coming years. What sort of message do policies like the MSM blood ban, what sort of message does that send to the queer community? You're not wanted. Is there anything else that either of you would like to say or add regarding anything I've asked you or anything else you'd just like to talk about? Yeah, I think I would just uh, underscore and reinforce uh, Chris's point about the double standards of this federal government, right? There's a lot of public messaging about we're committed to LGBTQ2 plus rights, we're committed to Indigenous reconciliation, we're committed to this, we're committed to that. Why are your lawyers going into federal court day in and day out fighting these communities after they have successful results through the human rights system. This is the system that is supposed to give members of marginalized communities the means to ensure their human rights are upheld. When they succeed, right? When they succeed, when they fought the battle that already is a David and Goliath battle, it is this federal government that is pulling out all the stops to overturn their victories. And so I think that speaks to a real hypocrisy by this government and is something that we in the community, not only in the queer community, but in all the communities that we intersect with and that we are in solidarity with, uh, need to be very aware of and pay careful attention to the, the wide chasm between the rhetoric and uh, reality. I think that um, there, there is so many issues that uh, affect our, our communities and um, I, I wouldn't count this among one of the more important ones that, that need to be dealt with. Um, I, I still, you know, and I think many in the community see this as a small issue. And you can just see the challenge, the opposition, which we are facing um, to see a policy change, which is, um, I think, accepted by all of the political parties and which um, has more political capital than it's ever had. And of course, there's all of the evidence that, that's needed, um, the advancements in technology and, and, and so forth. And, and yet we still don't see a policy change. Uh, we're still waiting. And I think a lot of us are, are wondering, what will it take for us to see meaningful change um, and for us to see these various issues progress? I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, of, you know, HIV criminalization and how this continues in, in Canada and how there hasn't been any real meaningful uh, effort to see that uh, that ends. And of course, that that continues to this day. And so, I'm hopeful, but I'm, I'm also thinking of the future and what, what we can build and what, what still needs to be, what still needs to be done. 
Well, uh, Chris and Shocker, thank you very much for agreeing to speak with me today a bit about Canada's discriminatory blood ban. Thank you for having us on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That was Christopher Karas and Shakir Rahim speaking with our reporter Shana Giles about Canadian Blood Services' discriminatory MSM blood ban, which Chris has been fighting since he submitted two human rights complaints against Health Canada and Canadian Blood Services back in 2016. The case is still ongoing, so this is your opportunity to learn more about the MSM blood ban and what it means for the queer community in Canada. Check out allbloodisequal.ca for a good starting place. You're listening to Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton, and we've got another part two for y'all. Without further ado, Part two of our Day in the Life segment from Edmonton's MLK, Janice Irwin. Hello, Gay Wire friends. Uh, this is Janice Irwin. I am uh, your MLK for Edmonton Highlands Norwood, and my pronouns are she, her. So, any pets to come home to? Well, absolutely. I have a cat named Oregano. I got him in, in the fall and I got him from Second Chance Animal Rescue Society. He's a, a, a foster cat, a rescue cat, and uh, he's just very, very sweet. And um, he's been re- a really nice addition because I think like a lot of folks, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who lives alone and especially over that pandemic winter, it was really nice to have to have him there. What do I do to wind down for the day? Oh my goodness, that's a really good question. I mean, I think I have to admit that um, I probably um, need to make sure that I take more time for self-care and for actually winding down. I think I'm kind of guilty of being one of those people who doesn't necessarily uh, wind down enough. (laughs) Maybe I'm high-strung. I don't know what the right word is. But, um, you know, I do... I do try, I'm, I'm working on it, try to focus on a little bit more self-care and just like I said, I love being outside and that's one thing that I, I can do, especially in the summer because the nights are the nights are long um, and su- you know the sun is out for so long that um, just being out in my yard and being in nature is pretty relaxing. Ooh, the final question is the toughest one. Socks on or socks off when you sleep? Wow. Uh, you know, typically, most of the year, I am cold. I'm, a, I'm somebody who's always cold, a cold kind of person. Except right now, I'm recording this and it's like 30 degrees. So, socks off when it's warm, but for the rest of the year, oh, I don't know, every month other than July and August, it's a socks on kind of thing for me, for Janice. Well, hey, I'll stop referring to myself in the third person. Thanks, Gay Wire. You have an amazing show. And uh, I try to listen whenever I can. All the best. Take care. Uh, take <laughs> take care, my friends. Bye bye.
for sharing your day. And with that, we are out of time for today. Thank you to our guests, Chris and Shakir. Today's show was produced by Shana Giles, Jao Victor Krieger, Ash Halinda, Caden Peasley, and myself, Terrence Adams. Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm and on Facebook, Twitter, and on Facebook or Twitter at Gaywire and at GaywireCJSR on Instagram and TikTok. Let us know what you think of the show. Hit up the DMs sometime, or if you'd rather be fancy, you can also email gaywire at cjsr.com, and you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson. Original music by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Until next week, keep it breezy, and... Please stay on the line.